Welcome to Romancing the Screen, bearing it all with intimacy coordinators, actors, the crew, and you. Hi. Hello. I'm Annie. I'm Rachel. I'm Catherine. And we three are intimacy coordinators working in a variety of sets and stage and education. And we're here to help clarify why this role even exists and how we birth ourselves into becoming an industry. And what exactly it is that we do. Yeah, intimacy coordination has really been big on the scene for the last couple of years. Lots of folks don't know, but we haven't been a job really since 2018. And a lot of our references for intimacy coordinators might be from TV shows like uh, SNL or The Idol or uh, High Maintenance. But what do intimacy coordinators do and how accurate are those representations? Well, surely they're funny and somewhat appalling. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you think about really what we do and that the genesis of how we came to be. So it's really nice to have this opportunity and to take the space to clarify, like what exactly do we do and how do we do it? And what are some of the best practices and, and where does that begin? One thing I have found is that this is something that does reach far beyond just our industry. I went to Alaska to visit my sister and I was in this tiny town in Alaska that has like maybe 900 residents. And I was talking to someone at a bank who found out what I did. And she turned to me and she's like, don't you feel like it ruined some of the creativity on set? And I was like, even here, (laughs) even here, I can't escape this question. At the bank. (laughs) (laughs) And my Uber driver has asked me that, actually. My my Lyft and Uber driver has said, wait, don't you feel like you like kind of take away part of the the spontaneity of the the creative process? And I'm like, ah, yes, spontaneity in a sex scene is uh, something that we all want. No, in in front of 75 people. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, that's that's the other thing that ruining the spontaneity. Oh, or how about this? You're the sex police. Oh, yeah. the sex police. Mm. We get called that a lot. I, yeah. So what are we talking about when we say like ruining the spontaneity? Because I think that a lot of people have this idea that intimacy coordinators come in and we kind of sterilize the scene or like we make it where uh, everything has you know, the idea of, of being a police or like a, a, a rules lawyer or HR is all of a sudden like watching us the entire time. But that's really not at all what I think of my job as an intimacy coordinator as. Uh, and I think some of that comes from this misconception around consent in the acting industry and just consent in the media. How do we put consent forward practices into the media that actually empower actors to feel more adventurous and feel uh, safe at work, number one, but then also that prepare them and the director and everyone on set to have a successful day where there are less surprises and more room for creativity. Like That's what I hear when I think, what's an intimacy coordinator do? But why do people all of a sudden think that we are the sex police? Where does that come from? Well, I, I think some of that misconception is, you know, the word itself, intimacy and coordinator. Like, okay, so you're going to be the person that's actually navigating this whole situation where 
I think, you know, going back to this whole consent culture and the lack of transparency within the industry as far as what the roles, the writing, the job, the expectation is all around, I think we have to back up into what's the vision of what we're doing here? And can we get a consensus between the showrunners, the writers, the directors, and then educate or inform or have conversations which are natural to have with the actors that are going to be performing these things to find out if this is for them something that supports the storyline and something they feel consensual with, with their physical boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I think is, like, important to mention is, like, I've often gotten, you know, this question about does it ruin the creativity? And I actually have always found that it's the opposite. Because if you're dealing with two actors that are, like, very decent people and they want the scene to be good and they want to be a good, like, partner, if... Because part of when we're talking about boundaries, it's not just what's a no, it's what's a yes. Mm -hmm. And if every actor knows what the other actor is comfortable with and what the plan for the scene is, that means they're not acting on the defense. Like they're not holding themselves back because no one wants to accidentally cross a boundary that hasn't been discussed. And I think the scenes where people are uncomfortable, where people haven't talked through what they're okay with, are often scenes that read as very fake and very chemistryless because both actors are holding themselves back because they don't want to accidentally do something wrong, which doesn't really lead to like an interesting or creative scene where if you know kind of what's in the box that everybody has like allowed, like what kind of like in the sandbox, what is what is everyone playing with? with? That's a terrible analogy, but like, oh, it's a great what's, analogy. Uh, then like you can actually just like live in that moment because you know, you know what the rules are and you know that your you know partner is going to be okay with this and you can actually focus on acting because I think if you're trying to hold back so much then like the scene isn't going to read genuine yeah there's an intimacy director Eli Lynn who talks about um similar to playing on the plan on the sandbox this is playing on the jungle gym it's uh trying to navigate boundaries is like playing on a jungle gym where some of the rungs on the jungle gym you shouldn't swing on because they're nose they're like red uh, i like to think of them as like red do not touch this bar spaces and if all of the bars are not labeled because we haven't talked about it and so we've got this jungle gym it looks so much fun we want to swing on it but we don't know what bars will fall apart if we reach to grab them then we can't play freely but if we've got those bars really clearly labeled with that bright red tape of like don't swing here please then we can swing on all the bars that are available to us and have so much fun on the jungle gym and that's the way that i kind of like to think a little bit about talking about boundaries if you've got a conversation and you've told me these are my no's, then I trust your yeses that much more. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the yes means nothing in a world where no is not an equally viable option. That is wholeheartedly true. Unless I can say no, I actually cannot consent. Yeah. So that is like the foundation to so much of this. And and for me, backing into the creative creativity that lands on screen with this beauty and this elegance and this free-flowing energy of these beautiful actors being able to become who they're meant to be 
is really backing up into having the conversation about what the vision is. And that means that those can be sticky conversations with a writer or showrunner or director about what exactly they would like to see. What's what, How does this support the story? And literally, what are we going to see? And how, what kind of energetic is there? And how much intensity? And how much nudity? And, and oftentimes, we have found, as we began to swim in this pool and play on this jungle gym, these are not conversations they've had internally or externally with their writers group so that we can actually be clear when we go speak to an actor about what the scene looks like. Often, as we've all seen, is the screen notes or on uh, the script notes are, and then they had sex mm-hmm. rather than they were fully nude. It was simulated sex or we actually saw nothing. It was just completely implied. Yeah, Annie just said something so important. It was simulated sex. It's always simulated sex, y'all. Like, just a reminder, we do not film uh, real sex. That's not our particular industry. Like, there are industries where we do film sex. This is, as far as we're talking, like, sag after shows, we do not film real sex. It's not allowed. So if you're out there and a viewer thinking, oh, they must every once in a while. No, they don't. (laughs) We do not. It It is the best kept secret in the industry, except it's not a secret at all. We do not film sex. I always joke that the Supreme Court maybe doesn't have a definition for pornography, but SAG-AFTRA actually does. <laughs> That's an amazing one. And like, I, I talk about with directors all the time. I feel like most of the directors I work with are very excited to have a conversation about what we're doing because a lot of them will lead with, I just want to do what the actor's comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And the next thing that I always want to ask is, do you have a vision for in your perfect world, in your world of worlds, like what's the vision? It, what is your thought on it? And sometimes they have a really clear vision that they were maybe a little nervous to share because they didn't want to push an actor. And sometimes they have this idea of, I want to find it with the actors. And then my follow-up questions can be cool. So as far as the actor's boundaries, what are the things that you really need to know to do your best work? Because if I can start being a facilitator of those conversations, then it takes the pressure off the director. It takes the pressure off the actors. I can be kind of the person to walk in and say, hey, where where are our boundaries living? How do we want this to go? Do we all feel comfortable coming in and just having a conversation together The you know, in a rehearsal? Or do we feel like we really want to have a clearer plan labeled out? Because I've definitely worked on shows where Uh, Everyone has decided and we've been able to put into writers that we want to do some of our planning on the day and in the moment. And everyone's been super excited. And those have been fabulous days. But that's not everyone's process. Yeah, One thing I have always found about our job is that, like, I always ask, you know, actors if they've had a negative experience filming a simulated sex or need scene that they want me to know about. And I would say 90 percent of those stories that I hear are not actually that, like, a director or like a DP was deliberately being predatory. It's that people have a very difficult time discussing sex in their own personal life. And then when you add a professional element onto it, people just completely shut down. So like all of these horrible stories you hear, so much of it is directors not talking about what they actually want until actors are on set wanting and about to start filming. And then actors feel completely tricked and like they're getting trapped into something they didn't agree to. And so much of our job is just 
sitting a director down and actually forcing them to articulate a vision. Because once everyone knows what this artistic vision is, everyone has a goalpost. And I think to me, once you know what the storytelling vision is, any boundary can get worked around because we all know what we're working towards. Like we all know what the point of the scene is. It's the scenes where a director maybe doesn't have a vision or doesn't understand that there needs to be like an artistic storytelling vision for the scene where I feel like people start to flail a little because they're like, okay, what are we doing? Like, what are, what am I supposed to be playing? Like, why am I doing this? A lot of boundaries are born of the why. Yeah, of course, they're born of the why and like backing up even further, as you can see this, our vision as intimacy coordinators as to what our role is, is a, a full scope of the productions like we take the whole um, production into account when we're hired and but that's not necessarily our experience when we're hired and in a production's point of view of where our role is. And I think that that is probably one of the first sticky points that we've all come across. When I'm hired for something, I'm, I look first to figure out with the writer, producer, director, what's the vision so we can tease that out. And sometimes as we're speaking to that, it is a little sticky because sex and conversations around sex are uncomfortable for a lot of people. So navigating with discernment and compassion, you know, and having time to do that with a writer or director so that then I can trickle down and work with all the departments and the actors and figure out the boundaries. But first of all, stepping back, it's like production hasn't recognized that our role actually touches all these points Mm -hmm. through the production and without the full information, the full script, access to the the director and the actors and the ADs and the costume department and sound, etc. I cannot do my job. So we have been finding that we feel um, a bit handicapped in some of our workspaces. And that has been very frustrating for many of us. And for me, what I recognize, it was a lack of education and ignorance about, you know, what our role is within the industry, within intimacy coordinators, as well as production. I have found that people want us to simultaneously work miracles, but also never be there. Like they want everything to be fine and no one to ever have a bad time and it to be perfect, but also for us to never talk to anyone or interfere with filming at all. Yeah, that's such a good point. I, I think that something that we're really touching on is every intimacy coordinator right now does their job a little bit differently. Definitely. And that's okay. Where we are in a process, just like a stunt coordinator is going to navigate things a little bit differently whenever they're walking in to do a scene. So are we. And that means that we're in a wonderful time where we can kind of help to tailor production experiences to each show. But that also means that folks need to be willing to have really transparent conversations about what their expectations is for working with an intimacy coordinator. I love it when I walk in on an interview and I'm like talking about what is it that you expect me to do as an intimacy coordinator for you? And sometimes people will say, you know what, honestly, I just don't know. I, I don't know. What do you do? And I'll say, cool, here's my process. Here's what I like to do here are the guideposts that you're going to work with with me. And here's the access that I'm going to 
need. And if that's not going to work for you, we can have a conversation about how to move forward. But for us to be able to consent and bring consent forward practices into the workspace, this is what we're going to need. And I find that those conversations are so telling for how I'm going to work in a show because every show is a little different. And that's great. But it means that we do need, like Eddie was mentioning, we need access to be able to talk to uh, multiple areas of production. We, like Catherine was mentioning, we do need to be visible. <laughs> we cannot be completely invisible and still give you the outcomes that you want. And we also need to remember that intimacy coordination is a new job. And there's lots of misconceptions about what our job is out there. So coming with an open mind and an open heart to the spaces that you're in and saying, all right, great. Here's what my boundaries and expectations are for this is really hard and really vulnerable, but it can give you so much clarity about how to move forward. If you're willing to give it a try, give us a shot. We're here to help. Yeah. I think that the, fundamentally, like that's usually the, one of the first conversations I have is sort of like laying that groundwork that I'm actually here to support your vision in all aspects of it from the top to the bottom. And if we have access to the production and to the scripts and to the people we need to speak to, it's like, it's game on, let's go. It's a super fun collaborative experience. And when every step of the way, I'm having to justify why I might need this information or how I would use this information. Yeah. It is brutal. Well, and I found there's a lot of shame. There's like this yes. like leftover yes. feeling of um, like people expect me to accuse them. Like yes. they expect me to say, uh, like, I feel like people are worried that I'm going to be judging them during the process. And I'm not here to judge you. I am here to talk about a shift in best practices because we went from having some rules about simulated sex and nudity, we having an idea of what closed set is to being in a zone where all of a sudden we're redefining a lot of these things. The rules that are coming out from SAG-AFTRA are really new. So yes. we are in real time having to get new information, apply it, and then bring that to a large group of people who've been doing fabulous work for many years. And that can be sticky and it can hurt feelings too. Because I know for me, there is that feeling of, oh, wow, I would not have done that that way with knowing what I know now. Um, and that's really hard and scary to come being confronted with. Yeah, I think being on the cutting edge and the front end of a brand new industry that's forging new protocols within SAG-AFTRA and new protocols on set and new protocols for us within an industry of what's the education of, and do we need education and certification and what are those different pools in, in which we need to have, you know, an understanding of and practice in to become successful as an intimacy coordinator. All of this being really brand new and happening in real time has been, you know, just kind of like filtering out what the best practices are today and how, how do we support this community uh, between us as colleagues, as well as in the production field. Absolutely. One thing I think that's part of the reason why people feel the way they do about like that we're there to accuse people is I do think, at least in my experience, when I first started working like four years ago, there was a lot of 
hiring intimacy coordinators to babysit a problem person. And I think that has actually disappeared a lot more, but I would say a lot of my original jobs were this usually man is higher up and he is making someone uncomfortable. I need you to make sure he doesn't make people uncomfortable, but also other way we're not curbing his power whatsoever. And I think those were pretty tricky jobs that were often created a lot of difficulties. And I think part of why it's so important that intimacy coordinators be standardized and have a set way is that, you know, like we're not a Band-Aid after, we're we're most effective if we're there before there's a problem. Once there's already been a problem, like we can try to do repair, but it's a lot harder than if you stop the problem from happening in the first place. Oh yeah, It's, it's that idea of, well, someone got a cut you know, and now we needed the Band-Aid. But what happens if we just had a rule where they couldn't have gotten that cut in the first place? Would have been way more effective. Yeah. And it's hard because that's, it feels backwards to folks, I think, sometimes to say, well, we haven't had any problems. Why introduce someone new to the mix? Well, maybe we can do it even better than we were doing it before. Like, and, and that's all perspective. Saying there hasn't been a problem and no one's gotten hurt mm-hmm. is standing from your point of view and maybe yeah. it didn't happen for you. Such a good point. And that typically, the person who's gotten hurt is typically the minority voice. Yeah. Yes. And we are advocates for everyone's voice in this space, not just the superstars or the writers or the directors. Like we're here to support the production and in a safest, most transparent way possible. And, you know, that again comes to like, what is the solution to, to all this, you know, and like, what are part, what is the vision for us as an industry and how do we create best practices for each other and support us as a community, as we go out into this workforce and we are, because we're typically a department of one. So, how do how do we have continue to have a conversation about what are the best practices to um, navigate this world that is does not have and and I don't necessarily feel like it should have hard and fast quote unquote rules because you know in production things are flexible and they are changing but yes hundred percent safety consent you know, creative process, those have to be in place. And so for me, there's like, you know, probably five or six pillars of like must absolutes. And outside of that, there's a lot of variables and flexibility within that, that we can navigate in real time. For instance, you know, looking at just that scene of the idol, and like what was happening in that scene and the representation of an intimacy coordinator and also the actor and the photographer wanting to change the direction. But what had been agreed upon in the nudity writer was there would be no nudity. And, but clearly the actor was comfortable with it at this point in time. So like how as an intimacy coordinator, do we best practice that situation which is a common occurrence on sets so that everyone's heard, seen, and safe. And how do we do it in a way that doesn't, you know, put a cog in the wheel of production um, and satisfies that box as well? Yeah, I think for, for me, when I hear about this idea of like, what happens when things change? Well, 
things change. Like thing, things change a lot and that's okay. Uh, something that I, I've had actors come to me and say, thinking about like superstardom and stardom and power is, you know, I really have some ideas for this scene and I really want to be able to do this type of process, but I also don't want to be me too. I say that in air quotes. Um, and that's the verbiage they bring to me is like, I don't want to be me too. What do I do? And I'm like, I can help with that too. I'm I'm here to chat to you about how do we make sure that communication is uh, power? Like, how can we help mitigate some of the power dynamics and create a space where we can talk? And a lot of times the best creativity comes out of those conversations is like, great. Well, like, what are some of your ideas? Well, I really want to try to propose something like this. Do you think that would be offensive to propose? And then me being able to say, well, cool. Like, what would be helpful? Would you like me to bring that idea as if it's not from you, like to the director, to your co-star, just to float it out there to see what they say? And then if they seem cool with it, do you want to bring it up in rehearsal itself? And there sometimes actors are like, oh my gosh, yes, you can do that for me. Yeah, I'd love that. Or it's as simple as this idea of, oh my gosh, my boundary shifted. Well, great. Uh, I was ready for a potential boundary shift. We can get legal on the phone and have a conversation and see if we can draft up a second writer and have it sent to set in the next you know, 10 minutes. Well, 10 minutes is a longer time, but it's way shorter than having to pause for a whole day of filming, uh, which is sometimes, you know, can happen. That's why intimacy coordinators exist. We're there to think about all the variables and make sure we got plans for everything. Are we perfect? No. But do we try? Yes. <laughs> One thing that I do, which does not make me very, very popular with the AD team, is like I actually, for any like sex scene, like I do have what I call a Zoom rehearsal ahead of time, which is the actors and the director and I all meet and have like a 10 to 15 minute discussion about the scene like before we're on set. So there's a time for everyone to talk it through and kind of, because um, directors are wonderful, lovely people. And sometimes they tell me what they want with a lot of confidence. And then they completely forget that and want something different. Um, and I have found that um, the having the conversations with the actual actors, with the director, just creating that space gives them an actual chance to like bounce off each other and come up with different ideas and sometimes land on a completely different place than where we started. Because there is like, I do think that a creative energy of being together is important. We want to make sure it happens before we're on set with the cameras set up and there's like no time to say no, that like it's in a place where there is no pressure. It is creative. It is fun. And there's like time to find a solution. And the paperwork part, y'all, this is something that I feel like I get asked about all the time. Well, that's what makes you feel like HR is all the paperwork. I'm like, ah, I know it's a bummer, but you know what? The paperwork's there to protect you at yeah. the end of the day. Like it's there to be protection for the studios too, but it's it was meant via SAG-AFTRA and, and the way that it has been portrayed to me at least has been this idea that this is a document that's in place to help support what happens on the day. It gives us those guide rails so that we're not all of a sudden asking for outlandishly different things and putting you in a position where all of a sudden you have to make in the moment high pressure decisions that are outside of what you originally thought. By having those conversations ahead of time and getting something on paper, it can really be a nice calming add to the day of like, great. I'm super happy that your boundaries has maybe opened up a little bit, but 
if you're kind of in a maybe zone of like, well, I kind of want to try that. Maybe we do that next episode for the next sex scene. Maybe we do that a couple weeks from now. It doesn't have to always be my yes is the thing that makes me a marketable actor. No, you can have boundaries and be an actor. Yes. And one thing I always do like want people to remember is like these rules apply to everyone. So sometimes you maybe have like a lead actor who's a producer on the show and has a ton of power. And he's like, oh, this none of this really matters to me. I feel completely in control, which is awesome. But the same rules that apply to him also apply to someone who's a day player, who is only working one day on set, who is walking on to do a sex scene and walking off and like gets these protections. So there is no pressure, you know, on her or him to go beyond what the job is they signed up for because they really need that money and they really want to come back. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. That is something that occurs all the time. And I think that, you know, just given like where we're going in this conversation to kind of like bring us back to like, okay, so when exactly are we needed? When, When and who makes that call? And everybody has a very different point of view around this. And, you know, I think collectively as a community understanding like, okay, when, when are we needed? And what are the parameters of that? And how do we make sure that actors are protected if perhaps there is no simulated sex, but there is a tremendous amount of physical intimacy or aggression or an energy, you know, a, a, a scene that's highly volatile energetically. Like, is that appropriate? Yeah. And I think that that is one of the big questions that I'm looking for in my personal job as an intimacy coordinator right now is how do we make it clearer to the industry when you can ask for an intimacy coordinator, how you can get one, how can we be normalized so that when we have these conversations with our Uber drivers and our bank tellers about, you know, the creative process, we can actually have a conversation too about what is, what's the shift that we're hoping to see in our media and therefore in hopefully ourselves. I really hope that consent culture doesn't just become a fad that came in during the Me Too movement and has now been kind of forgotten, but is really something that we pick up and examine for ourselves as a society and can look at and say, oh, that's why intimacy coordinators, because it's there's a job for everything on set. Why is there not someone there to support me when I'm feeling vulnerable, when I'm feeling like I could just use a little extra help, making sure that I can do my best acting work, making sure that directors feel supported and bolstered, like they've got someone there who's going to help them make sure their day runs smooth. So the costumers, the first ADs, all the crew members feel like when that person walks onto set, that's going to be an advocate for them and someone helping to make sure the day stays on the rails. That's what I hope that we can start getting towards. Consent culture equals smoother days at work equals better times for everyone to be had in our industry and hopefully at home. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's such a a great, you know, uh, mirror. I think what we're seeing with consent culture and what we're seeing in this industry in particular is we are seeing a mirror in our culture outside of production and outside of making TV and film. Like we personally need to look at like, if I don't have a clear, solid no, can I ever be a yes? 
Can I ever be a yes? (laughs) One thing that I think we can go in much deeper on is when you're talking about simulated in sex, SAG doesn't actually have a definition. And I think this causes a lot of confusion with actors and first ADs, which is that every like company has their own rules about Mm -hmm. when they're going to start following the SAG rules around simulated sex and nudity. And those, like, what different, like, just for example, I've worked on a ton of Showtime shows. Showtime actually takes a pretty conservative approach to what counts as simulated sex and nudity. Pretty much anything that's more than a kiss. So if, like, hands are touching your hands are touching breasts, then we're flipping over to calling this simulated sex scene. Anything, and I think this is more standard, any, like, thing where, like, you are seeing any kind of ash cheek or any kind of side breast, we're going to call that uh, nudity. Mm -hmm. And then other companies, like I worked on a couple of ABC shows, ABC doesn't want to call anything simulated sex unless it is fully you are simulating like intercourse. And I think that those kind of differences can cause a lot of confusion on set. Um, And I think that's one of the things I think it would be amazing if as time goes on, intimacy coordinators can help kind of clarify and provide a more consistent like rule book for like what is simulated sex what is nudity when do we need to be there yeah well because if you don't know those differences and i'm the one who's educating you it can feel like it's coming from me yes (laughs) like they're my rules but they're not my rules i just follow the the good old rules from the book whatever book i get handed that's the playbook we go by and that is very different for every studio every studio's got their own rule book and so it's a moving target yes it's a moving target it's a moving target because you know when we've all laughed about this like what's nudity yeah (laughs) And what's nudity for a woman is not nudity for a man or what's nudity for, and it's just like, there's no, there's no like ground roar. And the industry is so binary and it's so frustrating as someone who is gender fluid. uh, I personally am constantly talking to studios every time they'll listen to me. And a lot of times when they won't listen to me uh, about hey, all this language is binary. What happens if your actor is non-binary? Like, what are you going to do? How are you going to protect them? How are you going to help them? So we're dealing with real-time changes in policy. And that is something that's so important to remember when you're working with your intimacy coordinator is sometimes if I don't have the answer, it's not because I don't know my stuff. It's literally because there's not a rule for that. There's Mm -hmm. not, no one has asked about that or no one has pushed for that. And that's, a lot to navigate. So the more that we can get more education out about what it is that we do and uh, normalize having conversations with your intimacy coordinator about what it is you want and need and expect, the more I think we can help dial this industry forward. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think, it, yeah, I agree. I think it's, we're, to, and it's so fascinating and exciting to be on the front end of an industry that has such an amazing, impactful position, both culturally as well as within the industry. And I think as the three of us being at the front end of this movement and and leading the charge in so many ways for intimacy coordinators and for creating community between us and around us it is it's so i feel so empowered and and also bestowed a great responsibility to continue to be transparent and clarify and ask hard questions and, you know, just to dig in. Yeah. 
So if you're listening along and this sounds interesting to you and you're thinking, wow, I want to hear more about intimacy coordination and intimacy coordinators and what it's like on set. And I'm a crew member and I have questions. Please, please reach out to us. Uh, you can contact us on all of our social media. We will have a list of that at on our outro. And also we will be accepting emails please reach out. We want to hear from you. We absolutely adore getting to do this. And we're very thankful that y'all are listening or not. We'll find out. This is Annie Spong. And please reach out to us at romancingthescreenpod at gmail.com or any of the social media outlets of the same thing, Romancing the Screen, um, IG, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube. <laughs> Facebook. You can just say you can find us at Romancing the Screen on all platforms. Okay. Great. You can find us at Romancing the Screen on all platforms because I can't keep up. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Cut. <laughs>